0: Uh, before I get going into the main remarks, I just want to follow up on what Jeff was saying. First of all, he was being very humble. The home study course was entirely his idea. I, I did, in fact, put some effort into it, but Jeff was the one who came up with the idea of that. And the other thing, I, I got the sense he was being sarcastic, but we all do want an Eugen von Bobbauer T-shirt, right? I, I think <laughs> that I do. And the the last uh, thing I'd like to point out, I'm not sure who designs the you know this poster and the name of the conference, but... Perhaps all of you guys think that you're normal, but you're really not. To to come here, this is a it's a strange place. A lot of people, even at Hillsdale, who are familiar with the institute, think it's yeah, you guys are really wacky, right wing people. And so they, you know, I was asking guys, can you proctor my exam on Thursday because we're flying down to the institute? And they said, oh, what's it on? I said, oh, we're doing the economics of fascism. And I think they thought it was a strategy session that we were going <laughs> to. come down. And so. Yeah, so perhaps for future reference, you know, the economics of fashion, parentheses, were against it, you know, something, something like that. But um, so today, I'm I'm talking to you about the cry for security, and as you can imagine, what I'm going to focus on is is it's, it's a trend that both left and right have noticed. But as is so often the case, they can tell when the other side is is doing this tactic, and they don't realize that they themselves are doing it in the same way. And of course, what I refer to is that the population gets scared either about economic insecurity or physical insecurity and then the government promises to protect them in exchange for some of their traditional liberties and as i say the the leftists are very good at realizing when the right does it in terms of people being afraid of foreign invaders or terrorists or even uh, groups they don't like so that you know a leftist if you said oh well how come you know people are uh, they're supporting all these oppressive measures against against gays and whether or not there are such oppressive measures, but it's all because people are afraid of them, and so the, you know, the right-wingers take advantage of that fear, or that's why there's all the immigration restrictions because the right-wingers know how to exploit the fears of the populace. And by the same token, the right-wingers are very good at realizing how you know all that FDR, when he instituted Social Security, you know, he took advantage mm-hmm. of the fears of the, of the middle class and people whose savings had been wiped out and who couldn't find work. And again, so they they're both very good at pointing out when the other side is doing it, and they don't realize that it's a more general phenomenon where the government, as, as Bob Higgs is, uh, is so often points out, they, whenever there's a crisis, they, they ratchet up their own power, and then it subsides a little bit when the crisis fades, but it never gets back to the, to the uh, pre-crisis level. So uh, Mr. Rockwell yesterday talked about the way this worked when it came to Katrina and the subsequent hurricane. So uh, let me just focus now on the the economic area and then the um, in terms of military attack and again the the two sides are good at seeing when the other one does it so when it comes to economics of course the the classic example is right in the title is social security and what we're going to see is this alleged uh, trade-off between liberty and security or liberty and freedom is in fact a false one that there is no such trade-off that those who give up their liberty in exchange for security get neither And there's, But there's a two-pronged way that this operates, that on the one hand, it's that given everything else the government is doing, it's more than overwhelming what they're apparently claiming to do on that one issue in question. So when it comes to economics, for example, uh, in the American case, people during the Depression, of course, were dispossessed, and they could massive unemployment, and, and FDR promises them a new deal, and they go for it, and we institute Social Security, because apparently the The free market couldn't handle pensions and so on, and and insurance uh, programs in the free market wouldn't have been successful, and so that's why the government needs to come in and and ensure that these things happen. But when you inquire, well, why was there so much insecurity in the first place? Of course, if you subscribe to the Austrian view, it was because of prior government intervention. So it wasn't as if the government, as the standard tale goes, was completely laissez-faire up until FDR swept into office, and then, fortunately, at long last, he stood up to these laissez-faire economists. That, of course, is completely wrong. That the, if you again, if you're an Austrian economist, the reason we were in the depression in the first place was the prior credit expansion of the 20s, and then the subsequent and inevitable boom, or excuse me, bust. And then, of course, the other, the Smoot-Hawley tariff, and. Um, job owning, keeping up the wage rates and other sorts of government interventions, all the New Deal policies beyond just Social Security were making the situation worse. And so the, the insecurity, the thing that the government was trying to fix with its Social Security legislation was itself due to prior government actions. But that even, to, to focus on that, I mean, it's an important point, but that concedes too much. It makes it sound as if the government really is helping at least on those particular issues where it's claiming to deal with the insecurity, but of course that's not even true even that minor claim, that the uh, social security program does not make us more secure. And it's, uh, for this audience, I don't need to dwell too long on this point, but the obvious reason is that the social security legislation does not, at least the way it's practiced in this country, of course, it doesn't actually force you to save money that is then invested, and so it can grow over time. So by the time you retire, your money has accumulated into a much larger fund that can then fund your retirement. No, you are forced to save so that the government can spend in the current period. And so there is none of the benefits of saving can be realized in the aggregate. It would, it, would, it would make more sense. It still would be a bad idea. But if the government simply required people to save some of their money in private insurance plans or pension plans, then you could understand an advocate of that thinking, okay, we're going to take care of the short-sightedness of these silly individuals left to their own devices and the government's gonna step in in this way, we're gonna avert the catastrophe that happened, uh, that was manifested in the 1930s. But again, they don't even do that. It's they force people to save and the government spends all that money in the current period. And what's interesting is, again, going along the earlier theme of how this alleged um, dichotomy where where the one group thinks that the other side's doing it when it comes to economic issues and the other group side thinks that the other side's doing it when it comes to uh, national security, it's interesting that I think if you ask the average American where do you think social security programs started they would probably think oh, I don't know in, in Sweden or some you know real uh, tolerant uh, nation or you know culture that's that's very leftist according to the standard terminology but no if you the the standard date for or the standard period for when modern social security started was was under Bismarck in, in Prussia and it's not you know he's not usually considered to be a left winger and it's it's just ironic that I remember when I myself first heard that I was surprised that the modern welfare state had its origins. You know, I had this idea that at least if you were a militarist, you were a manly man, and you thought that those who you know, couldn't hack it in the market should just starve to death or something, or they should just you know go drink more protein shakes. But no, that's not, that, that's not, that's not it at all. If you, if you study history, that it's precisely the, the militaristic uh, regimes that also foster the cradle-to-grave protection, And and now, having seen more examples of this and seeing our so-called conservative president and all the proposals he's made, you realize that they're two sides of the same coin, that if the state is going to protect you from economic insecurity, from economic um, woes, and and make sure that there's a guaranteed minimum baseline of comfort, well, then it's not, why would you think that it's a completely different party who's going to be the ones to protect you from uh, military or physical insecurity? And so it's it's not surprising in retrospect that that's where the modern social security and welfare state would have started. So we see again in the in the economic arena that the government claims to protect us from the insecurity of financial ups and downs and people who you know were were short sighted and didn't plan for their retirement. And of course, just to us it's so obvious, but we should just repeat it anyway that the very idea that politicians in Washington are going to be much more responsible with the care of, of funds and not you know, be profligate spenders and that we can't trust private individuals to, to look out for their own welfare but we need to entrust those funds to the people in Washington. It's just absurd but yet that's the, the typical understanding and again it's, it's the insecurity in the first place was caused by prior government action and then the alleged means to combat it also only makes the problem worse. And I, I can't leave this point without addressing President Bush's own proposal, and I've, I've written on that George Reisman has also made some points on this, and I'm sure some other people in the room. And just to refresh your memory, because it, it sort of lost momentum with the hurricane, but the uh, the idea was that Bush, again, because the Republicans like the market, right? If Kerry had won, then we would have a big government person in office, but fortunately <laughs> we have a, a friend of the free market in there. He... Uh, what he wants to do is, ex- is take advantage of the, the benefits of, of, the, of the market and we all realize and the and conservative republicans realize that it's silly for the social security money just to get spent hand over fist by the government that funds taken out of your paycheck for social security gets spent in the current period so the the conservative pundits recognize that and so then they support Bush's plan that instead of spending that money what we're going to do is take some of it not all of it but some of it and put it into the stock market Now. You can understand the leftists going crazy over that. It would be hard to imagine a proposal that would offend them more than to take Social Security revenue and invest it in the stock market. I suppose if you wanted to invest it in the KKK, that would probably you know have offended them just a little bit more. But that just it rankled them. And what's, it's ironic though is their their critique of, of why it was wrong was that was close to the right one, or as close to what I, my critique was. So that's why I'm going to say it was the right one. That the, it, and the way I think to, to see it clearly, or my particular complaint with Bush's plan, and there's all sorts of other things you could raise, for example, that even if everything else were fine with it, just look at the political leverage that would give Washington if they were controlling a fund of which would eventually be trillions of dollars, that they could just lean on individual corporations and say, you better play ball with us on some issue, or we're going to take your corporation out of the, the broad index that Social Security invests in, and that could make that firm's stock price plummet. 50% overnight, you know, so that's the kind of arbitrary power that would be at their hands if you, if you instituted this, but beyond all that, just the basic idea is completely flawed that if you're taking this revenue and instead of spending it now, we're going to take it and invest it, but yet at the same time to placate his critics, Bush kept promising, I'm not going to cut one dime of, of other spending, don't worry, I'm not, this isn't going to jeopardize any of the social programs or our, our military programs. So where is that extra money going to come from? Oh, and he's also not going to raise taxes, of course, because, again, the Republicans are the friends of the economy. So he's going to have to borrow it. And so just let's say it's $100 billion, $100 billion coming in that normally the government would have spent and would have technically issued bonds to the Social Security Trust Fund. Instead of doing that now, they're going to take it and buy stock with it. But then that means they have $100 billion less to spend now than they otherwise would have. And so where is that going to come from if they're not cutting spending and they're not raising taxes? Well, then they have to borrow $100 billion more. And so all Bush's plan would do is take the 100000000000 billion, let's say, lend it to the stock market or invest it in the stock market and then go to the loan market and borrow an extra $100 billion to meet current spending needs. And so it's just a complete shell game. And to eat to to try to really get to the essence of it, because that, even though it's very complicated and you're trying to picture it, if that is a good idea, and I've had people say it's a good idea, even when I explained it at that level, people would email me and, and say, well, no, it's just, you're right, there are transition costs, but once we get over those, then it's, it's going to be self-funding, but again, that's like buying something on your with your credit card and thinking, well, yeah, there's the transition cost of when I'm getting the statements, but once I pay that off, you know, the purchase, it takes care of itself. Uh, to, to see past all the complexity of it, if, if Bush's plan really were a good idea, then by the same token, let's just, why doesn't the government, in addition to whatever else it's doing, borrow an extra trillion dollars and then invest it in the stock market? And the government's only going to pay, what, 4 or 5% to get that extra trillion dollars, and it's going to make, on average, more than 4 or 5% in the stock market. And so the few points differential times a trillion dollars, that's a lot of money, that Bush just found out of nowhere—it's free money, just tens of billions of dollars lying around because of this brilliant plan. And if you if you put it in, in that terminology, you know, if you think about it like that, you, most people would say, "Wait a minute! There just can't be tens of billions of dollars lying around. That you know, why doesn't a corporation do that? Why doesn't somebody else think of that? If it's if there's just these billions of dollars lying around for free?" And of course, the reason is, well, it's it's risky that. Yes, in general, the stock market has a higher return than the rate of return on a government bond or what the government would have to pay to people to, to borrow money from them, but it's possible it might not. And so once you take into account that fact, then it's you know, the, the risk premium that's determined in the financial markets and it all balances out. So a corporation wouldn't just go out and willy-nilly borrow a trillion dollars and then invest it thinking that's tens of billions that we're going to make for sure. And so that's what I mean when the, so the, the Democrats and, you know, Ted Kennedy, when they're criticizing Bush's plan and saying, oh, it's too risky. I mean, I, I don't think they really see it the way I just explained it, but it's basically right. But then, as, as always, they draw the wrong conclusion, and they say that's why we need to have the government guarantee all these things, because that's not risky. That, you know, it's certain that the government, <laughs> you know, you'll have your, your Social Security money if the government provides it for certain, Whereas if you rely on the private stock market, you know, it's uncertain volatile returns. All right, so I should, I should move on to the, uh, the physical military side. It's, it's, again, it's the exact same thing, but now it's typically the, uh, the leftists who are the ones to, to correctly um, diagnose what the, what the right-wingers are doing, and they take advantage of the, the uh, insecurity of the population, and they give up their liberty. And again, the trade-off is a false one that, It's not true if only we would be willing to submit to less freedom or fewer civil liberties that therefore at least we wouldn't be at the mercy of these terrorists. And again, it's also the case that the general climate of insecurity is caused not by just nature or just that's the way things are, but it's rather caused by previous acts of the government. And again, even if you put that aside and say, okay, what about the specific measures to protect us that the government's recommending? No, even those themselves keep us less safe and just to motivate this let me uh, quote from my friend Jonah Goldberg who um, he, uh, he has the, the, uh, the benefit of he once called me in print a no-talent ass clown and uh, that offended me because I'm not a clown you know so that <laughs> was really I took that personally uh, so he had this article uh, called Clinching the Clichés, and this was back, well, I, my response to it was October twenty-third, two 2001, so it must have been before then. And he, uh, what he was doing was he was going through, and, and it, I mean I, I kid, but he's, he's a clever guy, and he was making fun of the typical left-right arguments and, on this issue about giving up liberties or not, and, and so clinching the clichés was, was him going through and taking these typical statements and making fun of them. Um, so, for example, so this is Jonah talking, you know, if we this is what he's quoting the conventional wisdom. If we change our way of life, they will have won. And then Jonah responds to this cliche, um, actually, this has it exactly backward. If we don't change our way of life, they will win because we will main, remain unprepared for more attacks. And then he goes on, and so he, again, he's quoting the cliche, security cannot come at the expense of our liberties. And then Jonah says, what security is supposed to come at the expense of? Then sure, it would be a great world if we could say increased security will come at the expense of PBS, Brussels sprouts, and shopping carts with wobbly wheels. But the world doesn't work that way, right? So it's um, it, you know it's very glib and it, it's 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 cute, but Jonah does think the world works that yeah we have to give up our civil liberties and that's the way we, we get increased security. And it's again it's it's incorrect. If the, the you're all familiar with these claims, but that. The reason the terrorists hate us, I personally don't think it's that they dislike our immodest women and that they hate our bicameral legislature, and that 's why nineteen guys would leave their families and come over here for five years and train just to to knock down our buildings i I think maybe the reasons they themselves give might have something to do with it, but <laughs> um, and, and so you know it, and again I, I i just I still can't quite get around that the the terrorists, they say that they think we're imperialists and they don't want us invading other countries, and so the way we're going to defeat them is to invade other countries and on the, on the basis of things that turn out to be false. And I, I know that I, you know, we keep bringing that up, but I, I think it's important. Uh, and, and again, I, I just also, in terms of the, these clichés, I might as well mention one of the ones that, that irks me is, I'm sure many of you have, have had this happen where you're, you're discussing the war and you're very critical of, of Bush and so on, and then someone will get real haughty with you and say, um, you know, it's, it's ironic because our troops over there are defending the very freedom that you need to criticize the administration. You know, and you're supposed to. But is it really true that Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein wanted to censor my ability to make fun of George Bush? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's what their goal was. But in any event, fortunately, the troops are over there making sure I can criticize the federal government. So. The and then on to the the specific issue that okay sure and this is what well, other people will say to me that yeah I grant you previous administrations have done silly things and you know especially you know, of course it's always Bill Clinton's fault that you know the Clinton administration really fumbled the ball and they shouldn't should have done X Y and Z and then we wouldn't have had September 11th but given that that's all happened given where we are now and these people hate us you know if we pull out now we're 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 gonna it's not that they're all just gonna forgive us and we'll go their merry way and and so even even there it's still not the case that what the government is doing to protect us is actually successful. And I can remember, I don't know if it happened nationally, but certainly I was a graduate student at NYU at the time, September 11th attacks. And for a while there were troops walking around M-16s in the street. And I and i remember thinking, okay, so this is what a police state is is like. and And some people... Because of course, as you can imagine, NYU—they, you know—they on the sidewalks outside, the people were writing in, in, "Cran," you know, "Bush is a terrorist," and, and things like that. But beyond the the graduate community, I think most people, and, I, and some even in my family, were saying, you know, I I feel safer knowing that these these troops are around. And again, it's I guess I understand why it, it happens, and and it's just to realize because you see this old footage of, you know, from the History Channel, the the Hitler Channel that there you know all these these goose stepping troops and and you wonder you know how could those people have have succumbed to this and but i think it must have been the case that a lot of them were felt safer knowing that their boys were out there marching along and keeping them safe from the communists or the jews or whoever that was the ones that they were afraid of and it's and we you know we look at at these german soldiers dressed and it scares us but but that's because we weren't german in 1942 over there whereas now we see Americans dressed up, and that 's not nearly as scary to us, but certainly the weapons they carry can can kill as well and so again the the issue that you know are these measures keeping us safer and of course they're not and the the troops i, I don 't understand what they were guarding against they had troops with m sixteens in the airport at, at the security checkpoint, but nine eleven of course wasn't a thousand Arabs came and took over an airport. It was guys who went on an airplane with box cutters. So, again, it's what are they guarding against? Or even, you know, biological weapons. It's not that some guy's going to come in, you know, with a with a canister that's got a skull and bones on it, and then he's just going to rush the security, and they're going say, if only we had an M-16, we could have taken them out, but no. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just, again, the the illusion of security, when in fact that's not really keeping us safer. And the... Uh, specifically, you know people say, "Let me just very briefly sketch out is okay well what, what would you know, your, your free market do didn 't the free market fail on September eleventh And again, no, it was the alleged safety measures of the government it wasn't if you had pulled federal officials on September 10th and said isn 't it the case that right now we 're woefully unprepared for a terrorist attack?" and that you, the government, have utterly failed us, I don't think they all would have said, yeah, you're right, we should all just resign. No, they'd say, no, we're keeping you safe and we're vigilant. And it was only after September 11th happened that people said, oh, yes, we're completely, um, You know, it is crazy to be leaving uh, security in the hands of these private companies. But again, that's, it's very misleading because it's, it wasn't a laissez-faire arrangement. And people have talked about that the the flights, the people on the flights, the employees were weren't armed, and that of course is federal regulations. And that guys with box cutters wouldn't have been any match if just one person on the plane had had a gun, and that's certainly true. But even beyond that, just the uh, the different uh, security measures, and it's we're so used now to to the, the current arrangements, but but back then there was pooled security. It's still like this at some airports where everyone goes through the same checkpoint, whereas now, at least at some airports that I've been to, um, each carrier has its own wing, so to speak, so that if you're flying Delta, that you're basically getting dealt with by Delta from start to finish. And so, But before, there was the common checkpoint, and so if you asked, well, why wouldn't these airlines institute their own security measures, well, there would be a free riding problem and that you know, why would we spend millions of dollars ramping up our security if that meant all of our competitors who are also using these gates would also benefit from it? And, of course, the government has its own uniform policies. And that's, that's something, too, that people overlook, that, strictly speaking, it wasn't that the, the hijackers snuck through security. They were allowed to bring box cutters on planes on September 11th. All right? So it wasn't that the private person was asleep at the television screen when, the, when their cargo went through the, uh, the x-ray machine or what have you. And so it's, the, the, the market mechanism certainly would have been able to do a better job. Can we say it would have been perfect? No, we can't say that. But as, as again, Mr. Rockwell pointed out with the operation of FEMA yesterday, that when the government fails, what happens? Do, does everyone, other massive layoffs? And does the government say, okay, we botched this one. Let's let the free market handle the next occurrence. No, of course not, the exact opposite that the federal government gets more power. And when regular people hear that, it sounds very cynical. And I personally don't think that every last person in the entire federal government is, is uh, you know, out to, to, to steal civil liberties and give as much power to the government as, as possible. But certainly, just looking at the incentive structure and who gets promoted and what sort of uh, policies get perpetuated, it's not a coincidence that the things that tend to make government grow are the ones that are going to persist over time. And so, uh, again, in the the economic arena, we see the same pattern that there's insecurity. The government comes and promises to protect us, and yet it caused the insecurity in the first place and fails to protect us and diverts private energies away from the things that really could have helped us, that private money that could have gone into pension funds and true savings is now being siphoned off and spent by the government because of Social Security legislation and other such measures. And then when it comes to private security, the government, through its own foreign policy policy, adventures has created this, this climate of hatred against us so that people are willing to devote their lives to inflicting as much pain on Americans as possible. And then the government to try to protect us does more of the same and attacks countries that in retrospect didn't have anything to do with the, uh, the initial provocation and then institutes all sorts of measures that fail to keep us safe. There's anecdotes about um, some college students sneaking box cutters onto a plane well after the new federalized airport security measures and so on. And so it's, it's not the case that even with all this federal presence, at least now we're safe. And yet we now, of course, with the Patriot Act, we still have, we have less liberty than we had before, and we're still unsafe, as the recent alarm in New York City shows. So it's uh, all we can do is, is, is diagnose it and point to it. And I suppose you say, well, what's, how are we going to fix the problem? How are things going to get better beyond just us pointing it out and, and we in this room can recognize it? I suppose there's nothing more we. Well, one thing you can do is write checks to the Mises Institute. That's that's one thing to do. But uh, beyond that, all I guess we can do is is just let people know that we ourselves don't agree with it. And I think there is the the approval for the you know support our troops and and the war. I think that even with the falling poll numbers, I think there's actually less support for that than you would normally think. And in certain environments, I, I mentioned in an earlier speech. Here at the institute, that I was in the Atlanta airport with my wife, and when troops would come in, the entire airport would just would applaud them, and and so and so we didn't, you know, just little things like that. But I think a lot of the people, but even with my views, I, I felt very uncomfortable not applauding, and so I'm sure there were plenty of people applauding who really that wouldn't have been their natural inclination, but they didn't want to be seen as a as a traitor, and or we were in in our church and. There was a video on the anniversary, of September 11th, just showing the, you know, the firefighters and people jumping out of buildings, and, and uh, it was put out by Fox, incidentally. This video and showing President Bush, you know, it was it was music playing, and you know, so you could just see him talking. And then at the end, a guy in the back gets up and starts applauding, and I, I really don't know what he was applauding because you know it wasn't it was it was just a documentary, <laughs> but. Um, but, you know, and, and we, we remain seated, of course. And so, I mean, just little things like that is all I, I can I can recommend to to try to, to show that you don't give your support to what's going on. And at least, if nothing else, later on when when your children or grandchildren ask you, because when they, when they, I think in the history books it's going to be clear when enough time has passed that this whole episode was crazy, at least you can say, well, I wrote letters to the editor, and I certainly didn't applaud, and, and that's maybe the best we can hope for. Thank you. Thank you.